Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we start with breaking news in our world lead. Any minute, we expect President Biden to speak at the White House. He will talk about his decision to stick with the August 31st deadline to withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan. That means exactly one week from today, there could be no U.S. forces in Afghanistan for the first time in 20 years. And moments ago, CNN learned that the first U.S. troops have already started leaving the country. But there are caveats to this pledge. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki just said that President Biden has asked for contingency plans in case he decides that American troops need to stay in Afghanistan past August 31st. And we should note, a few days ago, Biden said he was committed to troops staying until every American who wants to be out is out. But we should also note the Taliban has insisted that they will not agree to any extension. The Taliban also complicating evacuation efforts today by refusing to allow Afghan civilians to leave the country. A Taliban spokesman saying the roads outside the airport remain open for foreigners, but, quote, the Afghans leaving, we are not going to allow that, and we are not even happy about it. CNN's Phil Manningly is live for us at the White House. And Phil, walk us through President Biden's reasoning for making this decision to stick with this August 31st withdrawal deadline. So, Jake, the way the president communicated to G7 allies in a closed-door virtual briefing this morning was that they believed, and he believes, that the U.S. is currently on pace to finish its evacuation efforts by that August 31st deadline. And that, in his mind, is the key element. Now, as you noted, he has directed his State Department and Defense Department officials to draft contingency plans if that is not the case. But a driving force to this is what they've seen over the course of the last several days, dramatic increases in evacuations totaling in the 10 Tens of thousands, more than 30,000 in just a 48-hour period, which has given White House officials the thought that they can actually achieve what they set out to do at the beginning of these stages. Now, it's worth noting, some of those uh, leaders who were in the G7 meeting this morning have made clear to U.S. officials that they believe an extension is a necessity. And it's not just those allies. Republicans on Capitol Hill making very clear they believe this is not the right move. Senator Ben Sass, a Republican from Nebraska, saying in a statement, quote, damn the deadline, and calling on the president to tell the Taliban the U.S. will stay as long as necessary to take out both U.S. and Afghans in the country. It's worth noting it's not just Republicans. I just was texting back and forth with a Democratic uh, member of the House whose office has been deeply involved in trying to help this process along. And I asked, do you believe by August 31st it'll be possible to get everybody out who the president has said should come out? The Congressman responded, Jake, logistically impossible. Yeah, and I think one of the things going on here, uh, Phil, uh, is Biden has made it a priority clearly uh, for the U.S. government, for the Pentagon to do everything they can to make sure not one more service member dies in Afghanistan. And that has really uh, been a major component of why the U.S. troops, uh, with a few notable and secret exceptions, have really not gone beyond the perimeter at the airport. And also why he wants to get out August 31st. He does not want one more service member to be killed there. Jake, this is such a critical component, and it was another issue that the president brought up, really kind of making it a focal point in his short presentation to G7 leaders this morning, and that is that the risks, as the president laid it out, grow every single day for U.S. personnel on the ground. Obviously, the U.S. is in constant communication with Taliban officials in Kabul and around Kabul uh, to try and ease the pathway for individuals, both Americans and Afghans, uh, with special immigrant visas to actually get to the airport. There is every reason to believe, based on what the Taliban has said, that that coordination would cease to exist post-August 31st. There's also the terror threat, and I think this is what you're hearing the most from U.S. officials right now, a very very real, very acute threat they believe will uh, 
will come to pass if they stay longer from groups like ISIS-K, who they believe are a very real threat at the moment and a very real threat for U.S. personnel, Jake. All right, Phil Mattingly at the White House, thanks so much. Today, the Pentagon reported a massive increase in the pace of evacuations out of Kabul. The U.S. and its allies evacuating 21,600 people in just the last 24 hours. Since August 14th, the Pentagon says, more than 58,000 individuals have been evacuated by the U.S., by U.S. allies, and by private citizens. Moments ago, the Biden administration confirmed that that number includes more than 4,000 American passport holders and their families. Those numbers are obviously a testament to the hardworking men and women of the U.S. military and our allies. CNN's Sam Kiley reports from inside the Kabul airport about those lucky enough to get out and about those still desperately hoping they can. Afghans have been banned from fleeing their country on evacuation flights. A Taliban spokesman said, The road that ends at the Kabul airport has been blocked. Foreigners can go through it, but Afghans are not allowed to take the road. This sudden announcement means that thousands of people who have worked for the international coalition and others who fear persecution under the extremist movement are now trapped. And these evacuees may be among the last flown to safety. The Taliban insists that there's no need to fear them. The spokesman went on, Afghans are not allowed because the crowd in there would grow even bigger and it increases the risk of Afghans losing their lives in stampedes, getting stuck in the crowd or being stepped on. The numbers of Afghans crowding here are down because the numbers getting out have been going up. On this day, 9,000 people were put on flights by midday. In the day before, more than 21,000 were flown to multiple countries by an international coalition. The pace accelerated through new efficiency and the need to meet the deadline for the end of the evacuation just a week away. There's been uh, no change to the timeline of the mission, which is to have this completed by the end of the month. The Taliban move to stop Afghan nationals from leaving would drastically reduce the level of evacuations. And it makes it easier for the U.S. to meet the August 31st deadline set by the Taliban. The State Department estimates that there are thousands of Americans still in Afghanistan to be evacuated. At the airport, military officers said that there had been a significant drop in the number of people trying to get into the airport gates already. There's no doubting the success of the second biggest airlift in the history of mankind. Yes, there are thousands still to get on these planes. There are many people stuck in Kabul. But for most of these people, this is a moment of celebration in terms of their freedom, but also bittersweet because of what they're leaving behind. That bitterness is immediate to Hosna. Her brother, Haida, who has a visa for the US, has been trapped outside the airport. She's moments from flying. Marines do their best to help as he's close to a gate still controlled by the Taliban. But her plane is due to take off and she's swept away with her younger sisters to a new life, not knowing if her brother will ever join her there. Now, Jake, uh, a number of uh, U.S. troops have already been uh, sent out of the country as part of this uh, drawdown. We shouldn't read too much into that. These are essentially or non-essential staff, so to speak. Uh, they are being moved out so that uh, the maximum number of evacuees can be got out over the next 36 hours, 48 hours or so before the U.S. has to start its own withdrawal process 
in earnest and that will be a very fraught uh, and very, very high intensity process during which they are at their most vulnerable from attack, particularly from the ISIS-K group. Jake? And Sam, the, the pace of evacuations, as you noted, it, it's, it's picked up significantly. The Pentagon says that a plane's leaving Kabul roughly every 45 minutes. We know the evacuations included more than 4,000 American passport holders and their families. Have conditions improved not only inside the, out, uh, the airport, but outside uh, the airport with so many flights going off and, and hopefully uh, the congestion and crowds uh, therefore alleviated a bit? There's absolutely no question that the conditions have improved, the system has improved, the numbers of aircraft coming and going have uh, drastically escalated. And at the same time, the Taliban have imposed, it would appear, already imposed at least uh, something of a block on Afghans getting to the airport. Uh, the, this morning, uh, there were about 9,000 people still trying to get into the airport. That was the local estimate made by the military here. We're not exactly sure how many of them have been able to get in. Uh, they have been sporadically opening gates in different places so as to not create a mass rush to one location and bring people in safely. But there's definitely been a visible decline in the numbers of people making it to the airfield. What we don't know is how many people beyond the Taliban checkpoints are pressing up against there or whether or not they've just been driven home, Jake. And, and, and Sam, shed some light on this uh, for us. So many of the decisions made by President Biden, whether it has to do with U.S. troops not uh, going into the city of Kabul and providing uh, safe corridors so people can travel uh, to the uh, airport uh, more easily, or the decision to leave August 31st. So many of these decisions are driven by the desire to not have one more service member be killed in Afghanistan. Um, they are very worried about a terrorist threat there. Uh, as somebody on the ground there, how, how real and credible does, does a terrorist attack seem uh, as a possibility? Well, judging by the attitude struck by uh, military personnel here, they're taking it extremely seriously. They don't feel particularly safe on this extremely well-defended base. They are anxious that as the numbers draw down, that they become a better target of opportunity, as it were. There have been inevitably secret pinprick missions out to go and rescue people who are stuck in tricky locations. Uh, but the idea of sending large convoys into the city means that they simply expose their flanks to any and all uh, terrorist groups. The Taliban they've been working very, very closely with indeed, but that will be exhausted on August the 31st. But the real principal threat is Islamic State in the Khorasan, ISIS-K as it's called, Jake. Uh, they are bitter enemies of the Taliban, so the Taliban has every interest in crushing any attempt by ISIS-K. Uh, and earlier on today, we had information from commanders on the ground, from the Taliban commanders on the ground inside Kabul, that four ISIS-K members have been arrested filming possible locations for terrorist attacks, Jake. Yeah, it's a very real, very real fear. CNN Sam Kiley, live for us at the Kabul airport. Thank you so much. Let's bring in our panel of experts. And uh, Susan Glasser, let me start with you. What are you um, expecting, what will you be watching for President Biden to say uh, when he speaks in a few minutes? Well, I, Jake, you know, it's, they've been pushing it off uh, for hours today. So I'm curious what kind of, uh, you know, behind the scenes drama there's been leading up to this. As you know, President Biden met this morning with the G7 leaders and 
discussed whether and how to stick to this August 31st withdrawal date. So I'll be looking to see how firmly he articulates that uh, as as the absolute date beyond it. Uh, Also, what are they moving the goalposts at all in terms of what the mission here is? As you pointed out, uh, originally, President Biden said they would want to be able to evacuate any American and visa holder who wanted to be evacuated. Is that still the language? Uh, And do we have a better grasp on how many remain to be evacuated. How many Afghans overall uh, also, that's a big question I have, how many Afghans overall do they anticipate will be resettled in the United States? And, you know, this is an enormous number. It might be the historic largest airlift of people ever. Uh, You know, that would mean a huge expansion in some ways of our refugee program is, you know, under what terms is that going to proceed? I'm curious about as well. Colonel Layton, um, the withdrawal deadline, uh, August 31st, it's only seven days away. Would that be enough time for the military to complete the evacuation mission for American citizens, for American green card holders, for uh, special immigrant visa applicants and get troops and weapons out one more week? Well, Jake, it would depend on how much cooperation they get from the Taliban in this case. I would say that, uh, you know, you can do everything except for the last part, the SIV holders, the special immigrant visa holders, and other folks that are in even lesser visa categories like the so-called P1 and P2 visa categories. Uh, Those would be extremely difficult to extract, and I don't think we have enough time to do that, unfortunately. Uh, David, Shalian, let me ask you, because we're hearing from a lot of Republicans that uh, Biden needs to Uh, keep his um, promise to the special immigrant visas and the U.S. troops need to stay in Afghanistan as long as it takes before not only American citizens and green card holders uh, are uh, evacuated, but also the special immigrant visas. Um, My impression from talking to people in the Biden administration is they don't take these Republican calls very seriously because they think, A, a lot of these Republicans are going to turn around and say, keep these Afghan immigrants out of this country no matter what, anyway, and B, if there is one terrorist attack, one American service member is killed in such an operation, uh, they expect to be blamed for that. Um, what's, your, what's your take from, from talking to Biden people? Yeah, I don't get the sense that the Republican criticism, uh, also I would add to the list of criticism you just had, Jake, uh, the criticism that uh, Joe Biden is taking his cues from the Taliban here who say, you know, everybody must be out August 31st, there cannot be an extension. I don't think that criticism is weighing all that heavily in their decision making here. I think it's more hearing from somebody like uh, the Democratic House Intelligence Committee chairman Adam Schiff last night saying it's highly unlikely they can accomplish what Joe Biden's stated goals are to accomplish uh, between now and next August 31st. So I'd be listening for what assurances does President Biden tell the American people that he's been given by his military advisors, by the State Department, what have you, that this can actually accomplish everything he said he wants to accomplish in this one week's time. I think that's going to be important. You're talking about those SIV applicants. Remember what President Biden said last week, Jake? He, he, yes, he put Americans, American passport holders above all else, obviously. But then he said of near equal importance, of near equal priority, were getting those Afghans who helped the American effort over 20 years in this war out as well. So there was not a lot of wiggle room there uh, that Joe Biden at the end of last week was sort of indicating in any way that he's okay leaving a lot of these Afghans that helped the American effort behind. And yet uh, that may be uh, what happens here. And and yet, Colonel Layton, um, I mean, the Taliban is telling the U.S. to stop evacuating Afghan nationals, including these special immigrant visa applicants. They're, They're worried about a mass exodus 
of Afghans with skills and education. They've even blocked the roads to the airport to Afghans. Um, how, how risky it is, is it for these Afghans uh, for merely just trying to get to the airport? Oh, it's incredibly risky, Jake. I, I've been in contact with several of them myself, and uh, right now several of them are waiting at the airport gates, waiting for them to be opened. And, uh, you know, they need to know which specific gates to go to. There is no information that's forthcoming. Uh, it's a really bad situation for them. While, you know, inside the airport everything is running fairly efficiently, outside the airport for these people the situation is still chaotic. Uh, Susan, as a, as a political matter, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Twitter feed of the White House Chief of Staff, Ron Klain, is full of retweets uh, from liberal activists and liberal journalists attacking the news media for not praising the Biden administration uh, more. Uh, meanwhile, there are a lot of us who have covered this war uh, who are still hearing from Americans stuck in Afghanistan, unable uh, to reach the airport. Uh, I'm wondering what your response is to the, the this airing of grievances we're seeing in Mr. Klain's uh, Twitter feed. Look, it's uh, I've been uh, really struck as well, Jake, by that and just uh, what a what a partisan moment it is. You have uh, on the left, as you said, a lot of Democrats now being retreated by the White House chief of staff who are extremely uh upset at any criticism of Biden. And they've been essentially conflating at times uh, criticism and reporting about what's happening right now as if it, it equals support for the war in Afghanistan, which, of course, is is kind of a ridiculous statement. The press has to be able to report in real time what's happening right now. Uh, not every report is about the last 20 years uh, of journalism in Afghanistan. And I should note that you and I have covered that uh, for a long time, including being there on the ground, I was back in 2001 when the U.S. invasion began. Uh, but to your point as well, there's also Republican posturing. And you see a lot of partisan uh, criticism of Joe Biden from people who don't even want to accept Afghans should they get in, but are bashing the president for not getting them out of Afghanistan. And so, you know, in this polarized moment, you see both sides, I think, reverting to a lot of very... Um, uh, tribal instincts when it comes to what's happening on the ground, affecting real people, I should note, in Afghanistan uh, who don't care about our partisan politics. And David, uh, take a listen to Republican Senator uh, Ben Sass, who has been critical of uh, not only uh, Biden, but also Trump when it comes to Afghanistan. Uh, Senator Sass wrote, damn the deadline, Mr. President. Tell the Taliban we're getting our people out however long it takes and that we're perfectly willing to spill Taliban al-Qaeda and ISIS blood to do it, unquote. I mean, I, I think the issue there that Senator Sass respectfully does not address is the risk of spilling American blood, exactly. uh, which is a real risk. I mean, uh, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, couldn't have been more clear uh, how acute that risk is right now uh, to uh, American military personnel. No, no doubt about that, Jake. But I do think this we are likely to hear Joe Biden yet again wrap this all in that broader strategic decision about bringing an end to a 20 year war, understanding that there's a lot of support from the American people for that. What we've seen the American people question in recent days is the how uh, this is being done. And now with this um, 
near definitive deadline. Maybe there's going to be uh, some contingency wiggle room there. But with this deadline approaching one week from now, I think even with this great military effort that we have seen that perhaps only the U.S. military is capable of doing and this ramping up, that you're still a week away. And that question then of how we get from here to there in a week, I think, continues to linger for this president and this White House. Yeah. And then, of course, there are all those American citizens and green card holders and Afghan uh, special immigrant visa applicants who are stuck in their homes in Kabul or around Afghanistan trying to figure out how to get out of the country. Everyone stick around. Any moment we're going to hear from President Biden about his decision on Afghanistan. We're going to bring that to you live, of course. And Dr. Fauci giving a new timeline on a return to normal. And that's if, if holdouts start getting vaccinated right now. Stay with us. In our Health Lead, a new study from the CDC is showing how COVID vaccines are less effective against the Delta variant when it comes to getting infected. Researchers looked at essential and frontline healthcare workers and found vaccines were 91% effective before the Delta variant and after Delta, 66% effective. This is consistent with other studies that show just how powerful the Delta variant is. But other studies say that vaccines still reduce your risk by two-thirds and that the vaccine remains your best way to stay out of the hospital or the morgue. Now, as CNN's Nick Watt reports, health experts in the U.S. are urging more unvaccinated people to get their first shot if Americans want to see any sense of normalcy by spring 2022. As we get into the spring, we could start getting back to a degree of normality. Um, that's more than six months away and won't happen unless we make it happen. If we keep lingering without getting those people vaccinated that should be vaccinated, this thing could linger on, leading to the development of another variant which could complicate things. After the FDA's full approval of the Pfizer vaccine yesterday, fresh vaccine mandates agreed or announced for government workers in New Jersey, Disney World cast members, many Chevron employees, students at the University of Minnesota. You have the power to protect your communities and help end the pandemic through vaccination requirements. Now, Louisiana has among the worst vaccination rates in the land and LSU Tiger fans, you're now going to need proof of a vaccine or a negative test before coming to football games. The time has come. Enough is enough. We've just got to get people vaccinated. So when might the FDA greenlight vaccines for the under 12s? I think it's possible that we might see uh, that process complete by the end of the calendar year. So masks in schools in the meantime? Well, a federal judge ruled Kentucky's governor can't mandate them right now. So he canceled his mandate, even though he knows it works. It's everything from uh, a district in Kentucky that went back for three days masking optional and had 700 quarantines in just the first three days. Nationwide, the average daily COVID-19 death toll is now over 1,000 and still climbing. Average new cases a day, more than 150,000. Hasn't been that high since January, but is that leveling off? Maybe you could kind of peek at that curve and say, maybe it's trying to find its way uh, from this steepest slope into something a little bit more gradual. But boy, no reason to be too confident of that. Paige Ruiz, an unvaccinated mom from Texas, died from COVID-19 before she could hold her newborn. Here's a very simple message from Paige's mom. Mask up. 
get vaccinated so this doesn't happen to your family. Now, Jake, you mentioned the confirmation from the CDC today that the Delta variant has dented the efficiency of the vaccines. But here is the good news. They are still very good at preventing severe disease. In fact, a study just carried out here in Los Angeles found that the unvaccinated are five times more likely to be infected and 29 times more likely to wind up in the hospital. Jake. All right, Nick Watt, thanks so much. Uh, let's talk about this with Dr. Paul Offit. He's director of the Vaccine Education Center at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He's also a member of the FDA Vaccines Advisory Committee. Dr. Offit, let's start with the CDC study. Effectiveness dropping from 91% to 66% when it comes to infection once the Delta variant accounted for the majority of the circulating virus. Um, what are your concerns about this? Are you worried that this might be another reason that vaccine skeptics avoid getting the shot? Well, what you want from this vaccine is you want it to protect you against serious disease. And, and it, it does that. It does that with the Delta variant, as we recently learned with that Provincetown outbreak. So that's the good news. You would expect, actually, over time with this kind of vaccine, that there would be a decrease in neutralizing antibodies in the circulation, a decrease in protection against asymptomatic infection or mildly symptomatic infection. That's okay. You can still get on top of this virus, and you can significantly reduce its spread if you have high vaccination rates, as we've seen in places that have high vaccination rates. So I'm not worried about that at all. Many vaccines out there aren't very good at protecting against asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic infection. I think the biggest mistake we made in communicating about this, this vaccine was to call those cases breakthroughs. Those aren't breakthroughs. A breakthrough is when, despite full vaccination, you're hospitalized. Fauci said that things could get back to relative normal in the spring of 2022 if the overwhelming majority of unvaccinated Americans, which is nearly 90 million people, get the shot. Can we reach, can we reach that level uh, without businesses, schools, governments imposing vaccine mandates at this point? No, I think that you have solid 80 plus million people who've told you they don't want to get vaccinated, even, they know, even though they know 650,000 people have died, even though they know that the vaccine is safe and effective, they just don't want it. They're telling you this is a matter of a civil liberty or a personal choice. And um, I think the only way that you're going to get that group vaccinated is to compel them to be vaccinated by mandates. What about kids under the age of 12? When will the FDA approve vaccines and dosage for them? Well, it doesn't look like the, the Pfizer has yet submitted that to the FDA's Vaccine Advisory Committee and the FDA. And we probably won't have it. I think the earlier statement was right. Probably not till midwinter, which is a problem because you have now the Delta variant. You're heading into the winter months when this virus is more easily spread. And you're going to have a group of fully susceptible people all in one place. That's not a good recipe. What do you say to parents who think the process for approving the vaccine for children younger than 12 is taking way too long? I don't think so. I mean, what you want to make sure this vaccine is safe, safe, safe and effective. And so you want to, to make sure a vaccine that you're, you know, you're going to be doing trials in 4,000, 7,000, 10,000 children, and then you're going to be given vaccine to millions of children. So you want to make sure those studies are done as, as well as possible. I think we're moving as quickly as we can. It's just not easy to move that quickly when you talk about doing big vaccine trials. The governor of Oregon just announced a new statewide mask mandate for outdoor uh, events for when social distancing is not possible, even if you're vaccinated. Does that make scientific sense? 
That's a little surprising. I mean, you have that on the one hand, and then you have you know places in Kentucky where you can't get a mask mandate for indoors. It's, it's odd, isn't it? I mean, if we had sort of one government, you know, um, I think we would be much better at this. But we have sort of 50 different governments. So you have places like Vermont where the, the spread of, that, of the disease is low, and then you have places like um, Mississippi or Missouri where the spread of, of the virus is high. It's just hard to watch. The 50% or 55% immunization rate, would be better if it was spread out across the country, but it's not. It's 70% in some places, 30% in others. We need to get people vaccinated. It's so easy to get out of this pandemic, vaccinate the unvaccinated, but we just refuse to do it. It's really hard to watch. Dr. Paul Offit, thank you so much. Appreciate it, sir. We're waiting to hear from President Biden on the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. We'll bring that to you live. Plus, the House of Representatives just voted to pass the president's massive $3.5 trillion budget framework. We're going to go live to Capitol Hill next. Breaking news on our politics lead now. The House of Representatives has just passed a rule which in turn approves President Biden's massive uh, $3.5 trillion budget framework. This comes after Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, got a group of 10 rather stubborn moderate Democrats to agree to the resolution. In exchange, those moderate Democrats got a promise in writing that there will be a vote on the infrastructure bill by September 27th. CNN's Ryan Nobles joins us now. Ryan Uh, This is a big win for the Biden administration. Yeah, it certainly is, Jake. Also a win for the Democratic leaders here in the House and Senate. Both Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have been insistent on this dual track for both the bipartisan infrastructure plan and the budget reconciliation piece. Uh, About 24 hours ago, it looked like that plan was in serious trouble as that group of 10 moderate Democrats said that they were not going to vote for the budget resolution until they got a vote on the bipartisan infrastructure package. But Speaker Pelosi, as she often does, found a legislative way forward meeting with these moderate Democrats until the early, uh, uh, into the late night hours last night and hashing out this deal. Basically what she agreed to was a promise that the House will vote on that bipartisan infrastructure deal by September 27th. That gives the House of Representatives time now to craft that big $3.5 trillion budget plan. Right now, all they've approved is that top line number. The work begins now to figure out exactly where all that money is going to before it then goes back to the Senate and begins the rest of this process. So this was a big hurdle, Jake, but we should keep in mind they still have a long way to go before anything becomes law. So, Ryan, what's next? What's what's next in the process? So the next stage in this process is that the House will begin marking up this three point five trillion dollar budget package. And they said that they'll do that as early as the first week of September. Now, keep in mind, the House of Representatives is leaving. They're not planning on coming back here until September 20th. That leaves only seven days after they return to get that budget reconciliation package moving through the House and passed so that they can then vote on the bipartisan plan on September 27th. There are a lot of moving parts in this process, Jake, and it seems at each stage there is the potential that the whole deal could collapse. They got over one hump today, but there are still many hurdles that they need to cross before it is all over. Jake. All right. Ryan Nobles on Capitol Hill for us. Thank you so much. We're waiting to hear from President Biden on the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. We're going to bring that to you once it starts. Also coming up, stuck in a hangar in a hot desert climate, reports of what evacuees are dealing with after they get out of Kabul. Stay with us.
Continuing with our world lead, while the U.S. military is performing heroically and setting records for getting people out of Afghanistan, there has been concern about the conditions at the base where thousands of those evacuees are arriving. CNN's Nick Payton Walsh has been to that base in Doha, Qatar. And Nick, even though the Pentagon today acknowledged conditions have been terrible, you're hearing from people who say things are at least improving. Yeah, I mean, certainly it was an almost impossible task, frankly, for airmen on the Alladeid uh, Air Base uh, in Qatar. One of a number of facilities that now eventually around the world are dealing with these thousands of uh, tired, desperate, uh, at times exhausted, even hungry Afghan refugees arriving. Now, when I got there on Tuesday, they were beginning to see the, the scope of the problem around them, frankly, just not enough air-conditioned spaces in the 100-plus degree Fahrenheit uh, desert space. It is exceptionally hot here in the Qatari desert, uh, almost impossible at times to think. And, of course, the issue of feeding, clothing, housing them as time has gone by. I understand that for a period it was pretty tough uh, here in Qatar, but after uh, seeing some reporting today suggesting that that had perhaps you know got to the point where internal cables were passed around the State Department ab- about it. Uh, I reached out to a lot of the Afghans on some of these bases and spoke to some of them who sent me pictures of an improved situation, certainly some complaints about the conditions they were in, and one individual talked about uh, how they were being asked to queue for quite a long time outside uh, in order to be- get their food daily. But uh, sadly, this is... A- one of the impacts of moving such a vast number of individuals quite so quickly with, sadly, so little notice. But on the whole, uh, it appears as though they've managed to get a handle on this. And it's just, I think, one example of, despite the extraordinary speed in which events in Kabul unravelled and this evacuation programme had to get underway, how many of the servicemen of US Armed Services here have simply sort of stepped up to that. And we've seen this quite extraordinary airlift and then all the problems downstream fixed, as far as we can tell. Nick Payton Walsh live in Doha for us. Thank you so much. Coming up, why US officials are warning that your flight could be at risk and it's entirely preventable. We'll explain next. In our money lead today, unruly behavior doesn't fly. That's the government's new warning to air travelers. As CNN's aviation correspondent Pete Montine shows us, there's plenty of bad behavior flying around. Thousands of ugly, unruly passenger incidents reported just this year are putting not only flight attendants in danger, we got a disruptive customer in the back. But also are distracting pilots, according to a new public service announcement by the Federal Aviation Administration. Uh, unruly passenger, we need to get off the airplane. Yeah. authorities on the ground? Yeah. The just released video features recordings of actual radio transmissions between flight crews and air traffic control when confronted with what the agency calls issues that have climbed to intolerable levels. Flight crews have reported just shy of 4,000 incidents this year, with nearly three-quarters involving the federal transportation mask mandate and many passengers drinking alcohol illegally brought on board. By law, you must follow all directions from your flight attendants. Traditional warnings from the agency have become more creative, including memes in hopes of going viral on social media and even turning to kids to send the message. They should know better if they're like adults. It's, it's a very serious uh, moment. 
American Airlines Captain Dennis Tager of the Allied Pilots Association says flight crews are tired of distractions and abuse. Just last week, the FAA fined one passenger $45,000 after he was accused of throwing his luggage, grabbing a flight attendant, and putting his head up her skirt. An unruly passenger is not just creating havoc and violence in the space that they uh, um, uh, live in. They are spreading that out through the airplane and they are distracting the pilots. The FAA has slapped unruly passengers with more than a million dollars in fines just this year, but that is all. It cannot bring criminal charges. That's why some airline unions are calling on the Department of Justice to get involved. They say that prison time would really send this message. Jake? Sure would. Pete Montine, thanks so much. Appreciate it. We're waiting. For President Biden to begin speaking any moment, he was originally uh, scheduled to speak at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. It's now almost 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, he wants to discuss uh, how he is sticking to his deadline to have troops out of Afghanistan. We will bring that to you live. Stay with us. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash country. Max subscription required.